this is the Stand Alone podcast. Sometimes I guess it's the best thing for a family to sort of, you know, find their separate paths and exist in their separate ways, however sad that is. Creating this book in some ways, that was the healing for me that I want to heal as much of my past as I can so that I can be the best mum that I can to these girls. If that means that there needs to be the distance from my birth family, then that's part of that story. My name's Jay, and I'm producing this podcast series for Standalone UK, supporting estranged adults in everyday life. I find working with the arts a really lovely way to enable people to tell their stories because sometimes it's really hard to actually find words and sometimes images or something material can help. It's something about having a platform to speak from and I think that's quite a powerful thing especially where people's voices maybe haven't been heard before or they've been silenced or it's been difficult for them to tell their story. Across these episodes, 10 participants who have very kindly offered to share their experiences of family estrangement. A lot of women talked about things like a compass point or a fulcrum, the ground or the earth, or sort of where's where's their point of connection. And women where they didn't have a strong connection with their mothers often found like that place was missing. That's what I really hope to create for my children is a sense that whatever happens in their lives, that they are held and loved and have that strong point of attachment. No two experiences of estrangement are the same. But hopefully throughout this podcast series, you'll hear useful ideas to take away, whether they're similar journeys or contrasting opinions. The work I do is about just enabling people to tell their stories. And I think people have found it quite a positive, beneficial and even healing process to go through. So many of the women I worked with were maybe low in confidence or didn't feel like they had a voice or that their voice didn't matter. And actually, everyone has a story to tell and that there's something very innately healing about telling that story and having it heard. I think it's powerful. I think a lot of people feel silenced and unheard. And I think there's 53 women in this book. I just feel like they're very courageous to speak their stories and then to allow other people to read them and maybe identify with them and learn, grow, heal through that. Hello. Hello. Hi, how are you doing? Okay, thank you. Should I put the video on or not? Happy to leave it off unless you'd prefer it to be on. No, fine. <laughs> Quite happy not to see myself in the screen. <laughs> this is Pippa. With two young daughters aged eight and 12, we just heard that Pippa intends to break the cycle of estrangement which she has experienced from other members of her family and fill the lives of her daughters with love and compassion. But today's episode is a bit of a break from the regular. Instead of delving into Pippa's own experience of estrangement, we'll be finding out more about her collection of writing, Mother in the Mother, and her journey to compiling this published collection following workshops with over 50 women. My name's Pippa. I am estranged from my family and within the last couple of months I've had a book published which deals partially with that. It's a book exploring maternal lineage and it's an anthology of women's stories. Several of them, including myself, have experienced estrangement. It's called Mother in the Mother. That title came about because 
is to do with the fact that a woman is born with all the eggs she would ever have. A woman, woman carrying a female fetus also carries the eggs of the next generation. So the three generations are sort of all in one body at the same time which I found kind of fascinating and weird. Wow, yeah. Uh, so that's, that, yeah, <laughs> that's where the title comes from. It was an arts project originally that I set up in Bristol. It started about eight years ago now. And I've worked with a lot of different women, about 200 mothers, talking about their experiences of motherhood, but specifically in relationship to how they were mothered and how that affects the ways they mother their own children. We worked with a really diverse group of women, so all sorts of different cultures and backgrounds and all sorts of different stories. So some where there was an incredibly sort of positive, like very strong attachment and positive mothering that they've wanted to continue with their children. And somewhere it's been more difficult or challenging and somewhere it's been very traumatic. Not trying to find any answers, just, just talking about their experiences and what that's like for them and how it is for them to bring up children, maybe if they don't have a solid or easy relationship with their own family. It's just fascinating to look at how things sort of shift down generations. Mm. I suppose the idea of sort of lineage somehow, I'm not entirely sure how, but somehow ties in with estrangement and the choices that people make. And I suppose it's, it's about relationships between generations, that there can be breaks and fractures, and sometimes they have to be sort of changed, or sometimes they can be healed and that there's just different women having taken different ways of dealing with those situations what I found is that so many women would sort of say I really want to do things differently to my family either I'm not close with them or I can see where they didn't do things how I would want to do them I really want to do things differently but actually you know I've just opened my mouth and I've said something that my mother said to me or I've just done something behaviorally that's exactly the same as the way I was brought up and it's almost like there's a kind of a blueprint that maybe is physiological as well as emotional that can sort of lie there and sometimes I think it's dormant in people until they have their own children and then it can rise up and you think wow there's these links and these lines even if maybe someone's estranged from their family there can still be some kind of links that are there and that can be really difficult to deal with but sort of I don't know it's fascinating as well. I'd love to if that's all right to hear some of the reactions that people have had to mother with a mother. In terms of people who took part in it or people who've read it? Oh yeah well both really I meant people have read it but yeah like what it was like um, for people who had their work included. As with the stories being really diverse I suppose reactions have been diverse as well but generally people who've been involved in the project for quite a long time and have wanted to go ahead and have their stories published there's generally been a sort of sense of people finding a lot of positivity the work I do is about just enabling people to tell their stories and I think people have found it quite a positive beneficial and even healing process to go through and that there's been a benefit to that and I guess now that the book is sort of out in the world and that their stories are being read by more people it's something about having a platform to speak from. And I think that's quite a powerful thing, especially where people's voices maybe haven't been heard before or they've been silenced or it's been difficult for them to tell their story. Responses from readers so far, from what I've heard, have been very positive in that it's a complex issue sort of dealt with sensitively. You were telling me about all of the different responses that people have had to being included in Mother and the Mother. And for me, it's sort of contrasting and similar to the standalone podcast in that, again, it's a collection of different people with different experiences of estrangement, all with different outcomes. 
with the idea of giving it a platform for people to hear about it. Yeah, I think there's something very powerful about having a space to voice things, especially, as I was saying, when people have maybe struggled to have their voice heard or to have their story told. I think it can be quite an empowering experience. I think that's quite, quite a lot of a few of the women in the Mother in the Bundle book experienced. As with each of these episodes in the podcast, I've included part of my conversation with Becca Bland when we met together to talk about the people who I've encountered on this journey. Becca is the founder and CEO of Standalone UK. Another person who I found so inspiring. Mm, yes, Pippa is very inspiring. You've met Pippa as well. I have met Pippa, yeah. But of course, many of those stories, not all of them, but a lot of them feature the accounts of women who've been through experiences of estrangement themselves. Mm. And I like that what we're doing here in a way is sort of parallel to that. It's it's giving a platform to people to share these stories that are important to them. What Pippa was really keen to do was enable people to tell those stories, that they found it positive, beneficial and even healing, she said. Absolutely. I think that... I think it's just a very human thing to share one's human experience and going into motherhood without having had a strong mother-daughter relationship yourself is a really intimidating prospect and it brings up so much self-doubt and so many ideas that you'll be inadequate and motherhood is already full of ideas that you'll be inadequate without adding this extra layer onto it and so... I think the stories that Pippa has helped people to share really helped to kind of bring that idea down to earth that you can be actually an exemplary mother after estrangement. It doesn't mean that that's going to define how your future family will be. And so many people go into motherhood who've been estranged from their family to break the cycle, um, but in the end end up being really hard on themselves. So they end up treating themselves so much more harshly than they otherwise would because they don't want to break the cycle and don't give themselves any leeway to be human almost and so there's an incredible amount of pressure that I think is really interesting in Pippa's book. And then for yourself assembling the collection of experiences together and then also having gone through your own estrangement how did you find that process yourself? I start the book with an introduction called The Story Behind the Story, so kind of talking about what led me to do the project in the first place. And it was quite sad in some ways because I realised that in some ways what I had almost unconsciously set out to do was to try and heal my sort of relationship with my own family. Instead, what happened was that I set up this arts project and got involved with all these women. By the end of it, I kind of realised that, oh, I didn't, reach that sort of healing that maybe I had sought even if I hadn't acknowledged it to myself but what was wonderful was that it felt like it positively impacted so many women and so many women's lives and that so many mums talked about improved relationships with their own mothers or with their children or just a better understanding of their situation and maybe more acceptance and I suppose maybe that's where I've got to through putting all these stories together as a is a better level of acceptance of my situation. Hmm. Thank you. Are you happy to talk about how long you've been estranged? Yeah, again, it's sort of not clear cut, but I was thinking about this and I would say it's about 18 years, certainly 18 years since I spent a family Christmas together. And then there's been sort of little bits of trying to sort of reconcile in between then, particularly when I had my first child. But yeah, it wasn't great before then, but there was certainly more contact. But yeah, for about 18 years, there's been very little contact. 
something that you did mention you did want to talk about was this stigma that surrounds just having conversations about estrangement with other people. Yes, I've only recently started using the word estrangement. I don't even know what I said before that. Like maybe, <laughs> you know, I don't see my family very much or I'm not very close to them or, you know, sort of mostly I just avoid any conversation of that sort, really. But certainly I didn't use the word, the word. <laughs> I feel it's great the work standalone are doing to voice, you know, to give it a name. It feels like something that almost can't be named because it's so unacceptable within our society. I find that people will ask, you know, about family or what you're doing or when you're in contact with people or just, just yeah, you know, just general normal curiosity. And if I use the word estrangement, it's a bit like using the word cancer or death or, you know, it's, it's one of these kind of words that people seem to shy away from and find it really hard to deal with. I was thinking about how it is a bit like how people sort of deal with grief and bereavement and that while some people can hold that, a lot of people sort of shy away from it and don't want to know. Pippa has only recently started using the word estrangement. She looks at it as similar to the word cancer or death in that people find it that that they need to shy away from saying it. Mm. But she thinks that it's great that standalone and other bodies like yourselves are, are giving it a name that people can use. Yeah, and I think somehow that's quite important because there's been, you know, just to get my geekery on a little bit, (laughs) then there's been some real conflicts about the terms that people use for this. So there's been kind of family breakdown, which is more associated with divorce or, you know, family distancing, which is a bit more about alienation, which is another common term that is used. But I guess there is no perfect term, but I think estrangement does encompass a lot of what it means to not have contact or have an emotionally healthy relationship with a family member. Yeah, I I feel like there is a stigma around it. It, Well, A, I didn't realise it was nearly as common as I see it is through the standalone statistics. I think sort of one in five families are affected, which I had no idea. I felt like I was alone with it. Our society as a whole wants to believe in the happy nuclear family. Someone talking, saying a word like estrangement really threatens that image and people find it difficult to deal with and therefore don't like to talk about it, don't like to hear the word or sometimes just come up with really sort of awkward responses and difficulties in themselves, I guess, in responding to it that I then find personally challenging, you know, just sort of asking lots of questions about it or just trying to change the subject really quickly it it's never feels like an easy conversation to have. Mm. Are there any particular conversations that you've had that either took you by surprise or were just too much? Yeah, I can think of a couple, really. As someone where I work who's a bit older than me was suddenly sort of asking me some stuff around it. And when she heard me say that I wasn't in contact with my family, it obviously touched part of her own experience or her own story it was almost like she was quite sort of overly greedy for information about it it transpired that she had some friends whose children were estranged from them I think she felt that maybe like by asking me lots of questions she could sort of find out the the answer to that situation Hmm. rather than appreciating the fact that obviously every situation is incredibly different it left me feeling awful and 
well, A, I couldn't provide her with what she was looking for. And B, I didn't want to go fully into my own. She was asking very basic, very sort of crass questions. And I just felt like saying it's much more complex than that. Human relationships are complex. This is not, you know, an ideal situation. And I don't know, I think I was just surprised by the lack of understanding of what a a difficult emotional topic it is to talk about. In some ways, we can't really expect people to be able to open their minds and expand their empathy if we don't tell them what's going on and we don't help them to understand what's happening. And I think that's one of the most interesting parts of Standalone, if I'm honest, and that people do tell their stories, much like this podcast, and are able to share their experiences. And it helps people to understand a different side of humanity, a different human experience, and a different family experience. I often do find, though, that people really respond from a place of fear who do have very strong and functioning family support networks. Sometimes some of the stigmatising responses that people get where people may be very disapproving or automatically encourage reconciliation often comes from a place of imagining what it would be like for them if they lost their own loving, supportive family members. I think that's kind of something we need to acknowledge as people who go through this is that not everyone too will have the same experience as us and other people will have a very close functioning family experience and that that will inform their responses and inform how they understand this issue. And that can come from a place of fear, a place of not wanting to lose that and not advocating that we should just abandon family life. We shouldn't abandon family life, but we should accept that not all families are going to work in the way that our own families might have worked and that not all family networks are supportive, loving, accepting, as our own families may have been supporting, loving and accepting. And I think that is a place of empathy to understand both ways that actually people respond from their own experience. How did you find out about the work of Standalone? I think I first came across it through Twitter. I'm not quite sure how, but I think I was sort of came alerted to it through that. The minute I saw it, I was like, wow, this is amazing. Just amazing that there's this charity doing this work. What a fantastic thing to be doing. And then someone I know said that she actually knew Becca. And so we got together Uh, I think about a month ago and had a chat and I talked to her about the book that I'd been working on and yeah it was just really nice to meet her and sort of chat a bit about our personal stories and just find out a bit more about the organisation. Since then as well another friend of mine who's estranged from her family she was also talking about them about standalone and saying that she had joined some of the groups which I haven't done but I would consider doing. I think it seems like a really valuable amazing thing I I like the idea of a sort of destigmatizing it and b getting people together because the concept of stand alone in itself feels quite lonely and I like the idea that you can sort of stand alone but in community of lots of people who are also experiencing maybe that deep loneliness but if there's a a group of you who can understand each other which I believe would be created by gathering together these groups of people then I guess it changes the aspect really and if you have that sort of level of identification with people it feels like that's a really strong thing to have. Let's take you back to the very first days of Standalone UK 
after Becca Bland's article was published in The Guardian and people began to reach out to her. So I thought it would be interesting to bring people together to talk about this. So in London, I gathered together some of the people that had responded to my article and we went to the back room of a pub and we had a chat about what it was like to be in that position. And it was very, very helpful for all of us to be able to talk about something so difficult so openly and there wasn't any of the barriers there that I think I'd perceived with other people in this position um there were I could just explain what had happened I could explain how difficult it was to tell other people I could explain how frustrated I felt that people always thought it was my fault and people understood I felt my own sense of emotional well-being really improve as a result of meeting others and the others did too So part of founding the charity was on the basis that it's really helpful to chat to other people about your real life and not have to put up these walls and put up these barriers of protecting people from what might be a difficult truth. Alongside their wealth of online resources and articles, Standalone UK hosts support groups in six areas across the country. When I founded the charity for six months I went on to run the support groups myself. So I would be bringing together a group of people in a cafe often. It was interesting that the support for the support groups grew. So at one point we had about 17 people in a support group and it just began to become far too big for me to manage and far too impersonal to have it in a cafe. You know, it needed to be somewhere more private and it needed to be somewhere that was, you know, a nicer space. So we hired a wellbeing centre and we started to do the groups there. I still ran them until they became so popular that we decided to make it a service. The charity at that point had grown and we examined whether it was right that somebody without counselling qualifications was running the group. And would there be someone better, not the founder, not the figurehead, to actually run the groups (laughs) and that it might be easier for people to come and talk to other people in that sense. So we really got people with more experience. So people like Jonathan came on board because they understand how to create a safe and fair space that people can kind of share in. And I think also that it's good to have voices from counselling professionals and other professionals that are non-stigmatising. That was really important to show that there are people out there that understand Slight disclaimer, of course, the groups, the groups aren't counselling. They're no, not, they're yeah. not, you know, they're support groups, they're peer support groups. If somebody's feeling very vulnerable, a group might not always be the best place. One-to-one counselling might be more appropriate for some people. So it's something that people have to assess for themselves. Very welcome to come to a group and see how it works out for them. <laughs> we should probably introduce Jonathan. So my name is Jonathan Stockwell. I'm a qualified counsellor. I've been working with Standalone really just for the last half year, helping to set up a support group in Edinburgh. I'm also interested in estrangement as a, as a researcher, so I'm about to start some research on father-son estrangement. I met Jonathan as part of a training course that yeah, we were running right. for therapists and counsellors. Yeah, that's right. I, it was for therapists and counsellors working with people who were uh, estranged or were experiencing estrangement. 
I was still doing my counsellor training at the, at the time, and I thought that would be a really useful thing to do. I was also thinking about doing some research in, in the field of estrangement, so I thought this was really a great training event. And was just really extremely pleased when, at the end of it, you asked if I'd be interested in perhaps working with the organisation. Yeah. That was more than I'd possibly hoped for. <laughs> so we'd long been wanting to expand into Scotland and bring support groups up to the Scottish community who had always asked us over Twitter, over our newsletter for a group, mm. basically. We always wanted to scale quite slowly and quite sustainably. And so our support groups would come when they were ready, in a sense. So I found it was great to meet someone who we felt would really run the group well and had that touch that we think is really important of being non-judgmental, being understanding and having an interest in the area. And how have the groups gone? Well, they seem to be going very well. The discussions seem to be very productive. The participants seem to get on very well. But the point that was very important in the training that I did as well about being able to listen to different perspectives and accept that there might be different perspectives. There might be people who have chosen to be estranged or there might be people who haven't made that choice and whose relatives have estranged from them. And having those two perspectives in the room and being able to hear them respectfully and realising that people aren't talking about your situation but their own situation and each situation is unique. Yeah, and sometimes people do want in groups and generally in the standalone community that everybody feels and has had exactly the same experience as them. But something that I've found since working in this issue now for seven years is that every family estrangement is completely different. And it's very hard to identify set patterns and set reasons for absolutely everybody as to why this happens because every family is comprised of very different human beings and therefore the factors at play are very different. Absolutely. Some of the emotions that come up are quite common, are are shared by many people, but the actual specific circumstances and the dynamics between in the relationships, they're, they're always absolutely unique as well. And it's rarely only about two individuals, it's quite often about the wider family too, I think. It's often a very complex situation. Yeah. You said a while ago, you said that you thought that you were going through the process alone. Mm. And then you quoted the statistic, one in five families are affected by it. That that seems to be something, again, that a lot of people have said so far. A, a common theme is that it, it feels like it's just happening to you and that you're alone in this and there must be something wrong with yourself or your own family, but it affects so many. Yeah, and that's where it feels like it's sort of taboo because like, so why isn't it talked about more? If it is that common, then yeah. surely more people have experienced it and and maybe that's the work that Standalone is doing. It's kind of breaking down that taboo, letting people talk about it. And with that, realising how many people it does affect. I suppose for me, the overriding feeling that I experience in relation to estrangement is a deep sense of loneliness in the world that loneliness, I guess, it almost in some ways creates this sort of sense that you are alone dealing with this. But to realise that there's that many families out there dealing with it, that it is something that happens within our society, I think it helps alleviate that sense of being so deeply alone. And also to accept that, I guess, families are complex things and that these things happen. And sometimes I guess it's the best thing for a family to sort of, you know, find their separate paths and exist in their 
separate ways. However sad that is, I like the concept with standalone that they're you know not trying to necessarily reach reconciliation. It's more about understanding that estrangement exists, not trying to stick a plaster on top of it, just trying to acknowledge that it's there and to from that point of acknowledgement of its existence within our society, actually, then I think people can speak. And when you've got that platform to speak out, then maybe things can, I don't know, transform and change in some way. Yeah, absolutely. And like Standalone with your own your own book, Mother and the Mother, it seems similarly it's about raising awareness and shining light of, of all kinds of issues that affect affect women particularly not just estrangement but but all kinds of things yeah absolutely I just think it's really important that we have safe space to talk and convey these things and so many of the women I worked with were maybe low in confidence or didn't feel like they had a voice or that their voice didn't matter and actually all the work I do is based on the idea that everyone has a story to tell and that there's something very innately healing about telling that story and having it heard yeah absolutely I think it's powerful I think a lot of people feel silenced and unheard and I feel like the women there's I think there's 53 women in this book that I just feel like they're very courageous to speak their stories and then to allow other people to read them and maybe identify with them and learn grow heal through that I really admire the ethos behind that Thank you. Do you have plans for more collections or further work moving forward? Um, it took me quite a long time to get this book <laughs> created, so I'm slightly hesitant to start on a new one. But I am working with a group of women or groups of women who have experienced trauma. And I feel like that's probably will become sort of next large project. But I'm I'm not entirely sure. I also do quite a lot of work with women or not just women, actually, any people who are looking to unblock their creativity and just helping them find ways to tap into their creative process. And generally, I find working with the arts a really lovely way to enable people to tell their stories because sometimes it's really hard to actually find words and sometimes images or something material can help. So, yeah, I'm just generally interested in pursuing that work and kind of reaching it out to more people. Generally, people seem to find it useful (laughs) in their lives. So yeah, I just, I I kind of, I was going to work with this group of women who have experienced trauma and then, yeah, with other people around unblocking their creativity as well. In regards to your wider work in the arts, is a lot of your work participatory led? Yeah, I call myself a socially engaged artist. So it's, yeah, most of the work that I do is in conversation or communication with other people. And I find that that's in some ways the most, for me anyway, the most kind of powerful sort of art that there is. I do have my own studio practice and I sculpt and I will sometimes sort of do that purely on my own. But I love getting groups together, getting people talking and making together. And then there's a sort of a magic, I don't know, kind of synchronicity or something that can happen in those spaces whereby I think allowing people the space to participate and reflect and to share and connect with other people it just can be really kind of like a transformative process so I think my work will always be about working with other people I feel like it's for me it's a valuable form of art. How do you find 
than when talking with people and advising people through standalone. Mm. How do you find that experience and how, how it connects with your own life? I think that, honestly, I found running standalone and interacting with a wider group of people who are impacted by family estrangement, as I am, one of the most fruitful and incredible experiences of my life been able to have had the privilege to start something which has helped so many people feel less alone and that really what I started by expressing my own story finished and is where it is now you know that it it has grown into something there it really does help people and that I think can be a very rewarding thing to work on every day but it does have its downsides and I think that some of the downsides are that I encounter people who for whatever reason, feel very, very angry at me. And sometimes it can be very misdirected anger, that they're very angry at their own family situation, but it gets channeled towards me. And I get a lot of online abuse, and I get a lot of people making threats. And I recognise that I think that there's those two sides to it, that there's the very dark side of people feeling very angry and wanting a figurehead to point that towards. But there's also the very light side where people get in touch and they are so incredibly thankful. I think it's about holding both of those experiences. I certainly feel that I've started something and I'm passing the baton on. I started something, I was in the lucky position where I had the capacity to build a charity that it suited my personal skills and experiences in life to be able to build a charity where people could tell their stories and share their experiences. I don't think that I'm going to be the only person that works on this issue. I want to build a community of people that will grow this issue, that will take over from me. I may be the founder of Standalone, but I'm not the only person that's going to be able to campaign in the way that I've campaigned. All the stories in the book, in Mother and the Mother, are anonymised because I felt that a lot of women would prefer that. And actually, when it came to publishing, I think quite a lot of them would have liked to have had their name by their story. So it's a strange kind of thing, really, that I was offering this sort of anonymity that maybe people actually then wanted to put their name to their story. For me, it was part of the, you know, helping to create a sense of safety around the process. So, yeah, I guess it's a journey that I'm on that I'm trying to discover more about. I do feel that it needs a name and a face and that if people are brave enough to step out of anonymity and actually talk about this as real human beings who are identifiable in the real world, it does make it a lot more understandable for people who are also going through it. For example, the piece that I wrote in The Guardian, I had no idea the kind of response it was going to get and how many people would write to me and say that they thought they were the only person that was going through this. And I think that's a product of people not being so open in the past about this issue, is that that has isolated people and made them feel alone. In the same way, I suppose, that divorce would have made the people who divorced their partners um, feel very alone before it was more talked about and recognised as something that was very necessary on occasion. Yeah. I would like to feel able to sort of stand in my own right and be able to voice my story. I just feel like it's, yeah, like I'm saying, it's a bit of a process. And I suppose ultimately some things are personal, aren't they? And you don't have to make them public. It's it's not obligatory. 
Well, of course, and it's, it should it should be entirely your choice what you choose to make public and private. Mm. I suppose I feel like in the work that I do, people are often incredibly vulnerable and raw and very revealing of themselves. Mm. For me, it's often about creating safe spaces. So I sort of hope that the workshops that I create are safe spaces and I work to enable the women to feel safe within those spaces. And then from that place, I feel like maybe people are able to communicate in an honest way that can be quite raw at times. I don't know, I guess I'm trying to have quite a lot of integrity about what I do. So I think people like having this platform and like feeling like their stories are heard. But there's also something for me about, I guess, with the women I work with and with myself, about trying to find where that place of protection and safety and holding a boundary is. Pippa, thank you so much indeed. Thanks, Jay. Really nice to talk to you. The same to you. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks, and you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Standalone is a really small charity and I started the charity seven years ago and have built it up to what it is now, which is supporting people in six different locations and also running a national campaign for students to get them more support and visibility in their higher education process. We've done a huge amount in such a small time. What we really need to ensure that we are around in the long term and that we can scale properly is more donations from people like you. If you support charities, you'll know that there are bigger charities that ask for donations all the time on TV, on billboards, on the tube, on the bus, and they have really huge campaigns. This is great, but as a small charity, we can't afford those kind of campaigns. So we're asking you, our committed listeners who are impacted by this issue, to support the charity. And if you can set up a monthly donation of just five or ten pounds, it makes a huge difference to what we can do for you. If you go to our Just Giving site, which is www.justgiving.com slash standalone, then you can make a donation, a one-off donation, and also set up a monthly donation if you're able to. Your funds go a really long way to help people with this niche issue. And it means a lot to me as a founder to see other people supporting the charity. A lot of people think that support should just be with them, but we really need everyone to contribute to make sure that this support can scale and grow and reach as many people as possible. Please do consider giving a monthly donation to Standalone or giving us a one-off donation on the Just Giving site. Thank you. Thanks to all our participants who have taken part in the podcast series thus far. And of course, thank you to Pippa and her project Mother in the Mother. You'll be able to find a link to her book online in the podcast description. Just scroll down on however you're listening to this podcast. And as ever, we are keen to hear your thoughts about this podcast so that we can make it the very best that it can be. But also, if you would like to take part in any of the future recordings and share your experience of estrangement with us, then we will be more than happy to hear from you. You can get in touch with us anytime via the Stand Alone UK Twitter. That's at Stand Alone UK. In the next episode of the series, we'll meet Aisha. She's a young woman who became estranged from her family after she chose to form a relationship with someone who was from a different religious background. 
Initially, he was willing to convert to her family's religion, but tensions arose which affected her relationship with the family. Eventually, an ultimatum was made. It became clear that I had to make a decision and it was choosing between them or choosing him. And they were the ones to kind of articulate that to me and create that condition almost. It's not something that I ever imagined happening. In my head, I'd kind of always thought that maybe my family could understand and would be willing to find a way for for this to work. But it was quite sad to see that as soon as he found out about my partner, it was a case of, well, it's him or us. And when I say my family, it's important to know I don't just mean my mum and dad. I mean my brothers, their wives, my aunties, my uncles, my cousins. The situation I'm in, it's unfortunately quite a common one. It's quite common in South Asian cultures for men and women to pick a partner of their own choice that their family aren't necessarily happy with. But one thing that's become clear over time, it is more of a generational issue. So it is a lot more of the older generation who seem to have this issue and this fear almost of of their children losing their culture or losing their faith. And one of the ways in which they could do that is by picking a partner who doesn't necessarily come from that same culture or follow that same religion. But I've got younger cousins and I've got siblings who aren't too much older than I am. And I really expected that through this whole ordeal, they would be there and, and they would support me they'd almost be fighting my corner really to kind of convince my my parents and my aunties and my uncles that I'm making the right decision for me. There's countless examples out there of men and women from my background who've picked their own partners and are perfectly happy and have found that compromise with their family as well. But unfortunately, I didn't get that support from from my siblings or my cousins. And, and that was that was probably one of the hardest aspects of of this whole journey, really. If you are feeling lower than normal or need immediate support with your well-being, please call Samaritans for free on 116-123 or make an emergency appointment with your GP. Standalone UK are such a small charity and so they cannot give out individual advice If you want to talk about the podcast, head online and go to their Twitter page, at UK Standalone, to join in the discussion. Remember that Standalone has lots of advice on their website as part of their guides. The Standalone podcast was produced by me, Jay Sykes, for Becca Bland of Standalone UK.